And I said, oh, well, you know, you just like my mother because she's white. And he said, well, what do you know? You don't even know that your father's black. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an Ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for Not Parent Expected or Non-Paternal Event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 83. Today I am speaking with Christine. Hi, Christine. Hi, Lily. Thank you so much for being willing to share your story today. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored. The name of this episode we are calling Dancing Around the Truth. And you came up with that. Can you tell me why you came up with that name for today? Dancing Around the Truth is the name of my memoir that I wrote to try to make sense of what happened to me when I discovered that I was an NPE. And I titled that memoir that way because all of the family secrets and the ways in which my family danced around the truth. There was dancers in my family and the way I danced around the truth. I have not read your memoir. I have read the description and I've read your Wall Street Journal article. And I'm really interested in, in hearing more about your story. And all of these links I will put in the show description, of course. Before we get started today, did you want to, at the beginning of the episode, um, put the name of your website? Uh, tell me what your, the name of your website is again. Yes, it's christinefromqueens.com. Is that where I'm speaking to you today? Are you, do you live in Queens? <laughs> no, I was born and raised in Queens. But now I live in upstate New York. Okay. Okay. So, Christine, I'd love to hear your story as much as you're willing to share today. And why don't you start at the beginning and tell me a little bit about your family of origin? Yes. And thanks again, Lily, for having me. It really is an honor to be able to talk to people that are having a similar experience and, well, are struggling with their identity and confusion. And it's so important for all of us to share our stories so that we know we're not alone. And I grew up in Queens in a very white Anglo-Saxon neighborhood during the 1950s and 60s. As an only child, our family, which consisted of me, my mother, and my father, were the only ones in, in America. My parents 
family, their parents, and uh, my mother had a brother. They were all in Denmark. So we really were, in a sense, isolated. But I do remember having an idyllic childhood in the sense that I had lots of friends and neighbors that I gathered with. And I attended summer camp and I went to public schools and I, I had a good childhood, I would say up until about the age of 11, when at that time, my mother shared with me that she thought she was an alcoholic. She watched a movie called The Days of Wine and Roses. And uh, the woman in that movie was an alcoholic. And after we watched it together, she told me that. And I didn't really understand what an alcoholic was or what that meant. But um, as the years went on, she really did have quite a difficulty maintaining sobriety, even though she had been in a rehab. And her alcoholism was denied by my father. He was a heavy drinker as well, but he was functional, whereas my mother could not function. And when I really needed a mother the most during my teenage years, she was pretty much unavailable. And I think that that definitely had an impact on on me as I entered into high school. And I started engaging in in dangerous and self-destructive behaviors. And that really is the the crux of how I grew up. I, I also have to say that there was always a sense of feeling different, I think mainly because of my mother's alcoholism, but also because my father had a fabulous job. My father was a sound engineer for motion pictures. And some of the major motion pictures that were made in the New York area, he worked on. He also worked on a television series called The Defenders for many years. So I was privy to going on movie sets at a very early age meeting famous movie stars. And it was something that I picked up. I couldn't really share with my friends because that was a certain level of, of envy, I think, from them, you know, in terms of what I was getting to do. I just felt very different because of that and not in a good way. I know the next... Um, area that you like to explore is, is how did you discover that you were an NPE? And I discovered I was an NPE, it seems like several times. The first time I was 16 years old. And the other area in which I felt different growing up and which the secrets it kept me from really connecting with other children in my neighborhood was that my parents were swingers. And that was obviously very unusual. And, and the way I knew that was they would send me to a friend's house and they would have these parties and they really loved jazz musicians, black jazz musicians. And they would oftentimes go out to clubs and, and then bring home musicians to party with them. 
So that was another piece of their behavior that I was not really able to share with friends. But when I was 16 years old, my mother, my parents had this open marriage in addition to being swingers. And my mother was seeing uh, a man. It was her boyfriend, but she was still living at home with my father and I. And he would be in the house during the day when my father was at work. And this was something that my father was aware of, and it was definitely causing stress within the family. I didn't like him, and um, but I did like that he paid a lot of attention to me, but I didn't like the, the, uh, the way he injected himself, so to speak, into our family. So one day when I came home from high school, I had um, heard several comments that my father had made. This man was black, and my father had made comments to the effect that, well, you know, he only likes your mother because she's white. And um, I, I kept that little phrase in my head. And one day when I came home from school, my mother's boyfriend, Bill, and I were playing checkers, and I lost. And he was teasing me about losing. You know, he was really gloating about that he won so many times. And I said, oh, well, you know, you just like my mother because she's white. And he said, well, what do you know? You don't even know that your father's black. And my mother started screaming and crying and saying, oh, my goodness, you promised you would never tell. And I was just thoroughly confused at 16 years old. I didn't know what was going on. And my mother pulled a photograph out of a book on the bookshelf and eventually told me that she thought that this man in the photo, this dancer, this light-skinned dancer from the Bahamas, might be my father. And later that evening, when Bill had left and my father came home from work, I approached him to ask him and tell him what had happened that day. And he heard the whole story and he said, well, that's ridiculous. You look too much like my mother for that to be true. So we're talking about 1966 when this happened, Hmm. in 1968. And uh, that pretty much was the end of it. We all went into denial after that. My father saying that's impossible. My mother never bringing it up again. I never brought it up again. And they went to their death. Never, we never spoke about it. Flash forward a half a century later, and I decided to do a DNA test in 2016 with Ancestry.com, and the results came back that I was 25% West African. And I thought, okay, I guess that was true, what my mother had told me. So I couldn't really wrap my head around it. it I didn't make any family connections. I didn't connect with any anything but very distant cousins who were not responding. 
I went back into denial. I basically decided that I was not going to deal with that. Another 18 months went by and I realized, oh, but I don't have any idea about my medical history on my paternal side. And then I found out that uh, 23andMe does the, the genetic health component. And so I decided to do another DNA test with them. And that was when I connected with a first cousin. And that really was how things opened up for me in terms of connecting with that first cousin. She actually gave me the identity of my biological father, who was also deceased and had been for a long time. But it just, it definitely exploded my world. And I, I went through a range of emotions from extremely sad to anger at my mother, at, uh, at my birth certificate father, and probably anybody and everybody in between. I just was full of a lot of anger that I had a hard time expressing. And I became very anxious. And anxiety is something that I had lived with for most of my life anyway. But, you know, finding out at the age of 65 that uh, the half of your life that you never knew about is is just this brand new thing was difficult. I always thought it was 100% Danish. That was my parents' heritage. They had come over from Denmark. And now I was looking at being Caribbean American and how all of that fit. The, the upside of finding out that, um, that I had this new biological father was that I discovered he was a dancer. He was a minor celebrity in his time. And it was easy to find information about him on the internet. And his father was a minor celebrity in his time during the Harlem Renaissance. Mm. Actually, both my grandparents were dancers. <gasps> And my biological father was a dancer, mm. and I was a dancer. Mm. So there was this very strong and long lineage of mm. professional dance mm. in my genes. Mm. Is, was he a Lindy Hop dancer in Harlem by any chance? No, not the Lindy Hop. He was. Uh, he and my grandmother were interpretive dancers in the Harlem Renaissance, and there's just some wonderful photographs that I found of them in the uh, Performing Arts Library in New York City. And uh, there's just so much, so many artifacts and newspaper clippings and photographs of them. That, you know, it just really filled my heart with joy to make this this dance connection. Did your birth father know about your existence? No, he did not. So what I discovered, while, while the story about my biological grandparents was very exciting, and also the story about my biological father was exciting, the more I dug the more I found out 
some things that were not so great, not, not that I really wanted to inherit. And the main one was that he fathered lots of children and maybe didn't know about their existence. I've only been able to find out about six siblings. Mm. And I've only met one. And he, my biological father was not in her life. Our, our biological father was not in her life. Although she had met him a few times. But he didn't support any of his children. And he definitely did not know about me. That I'm sure of. Hmm. So he wasn't part of raising his children necessarily. No, there is one sister that I think he probably had the most contact with and that he may have supported. And Hmm. she is in Europe somewhere, I believe, but I have not been able to locate Hmm. her. So you find out you are, I guess this, this would be a transracial NPE story. You're of mixed race, but you were raised Correct. white. And I look a, white. And yeah. you look white in a white culture. Uh, how, ha- how have things changed for you since finding this out? They've been, it's been very interesting and it's and it's a journey. It really is a it's an adventure, and it's a journey in terms of thinking about myself as a mixed race person. Thinking about myself as sometimes I think about myself as a black woman. I I wanted to really embrace the black part of my heritage, and I um, I would search for clothing. African clothing that I could wear. And I always wanted to wear a head wrap even before I found out I was mixed race and (laughs) wearing those things really is not appropriate if you're white and if you really haven't grown up in a black culture. And my son who's 33 brought that awareness to me he said, Mom, that's cultural appropriation. So I made mistakes along the way of trying to embrace, you know, my new heritage. And, and I'm so happy that, you know, I belong to a support group on Facebook of people that are exploring their new ethnicity because this is something that happens uh, when you're an NPE and you um, discover a new biological parent. Many times it is of a new ethnicity. I, um, I've been doing a lot of reading and learning about how I use my whiteness to get ahead in the world and, and the advantages that it afforded me, different from the sister that I found who um, has dark skin and was very poor growing up. So I... I really have been taking a, a deep look at, at my feelings about race. And, and it, what was surprising to me was that given that my parents were ardent uh, followers of black jazz musicians, and, and in 1968, I remember my mother crying when Martin Luther King was shot. And um, 
my father had spent time in Africa working on a film and there were always African artifacts in the house. So it was surprising to me that even though I had these liberal progressive parents that were pro-civil rights that I had absorbed and internalized racism and stereotypical feelings and biases Mm -hmm. towards black people. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, an awakening for me. Mm -hmm. And that was part of me trying to come to terms with, you know, this new identity and, and how do I identify? And am I any different just because of something that I found out when I'm 65 years old? I'm sitting here, I just, I'm imagining how I would feel if I were in your, in your shoes, because you have the NPE revelation, but you have another, a whole other layer, extra layer as well as part of your story with the with, with the finding out you are of a mixed race and now a different culture than what you were raised with. And you mentioned a Facebook support group. This may not be the right time to bring it up, but is that a private group? Because I know I'll have people ask me what the name of that group was as a potential resource. Do you happen to know the? Yes, name? it's from, it's affiliated with the DNA NPE on uh, Facebook. Yeah. Okay. And then these are offshoots. There's a uh, exploring new ethnicity mm-hmm. and um, also blended um, blended dialogue. Exploring new ethnicity. Yeah. Have you heard of the is there a a group I'm seeing called cross cultural cross cultural? I don't know. It's one of the another one of the um, NPE slash MPE groups out there. Oh, I'm not getting the name of it right, but I will try to, um, I mean, I can't link a private group, but I'll try to put these in the resources in case anyone else is experiencing this. Yeah. So you decided to write a book, a memoir. Yeah. Yes, I did. I, um, I mean, I've always enjoyed writing in a journal and it, it helps me to figure out what I'm thinking and what I'm going through. And I, about six months after I had discovered the identity of my biological father, was doing a lot of research, the library. And when I was telling people my story, they were just, oh my God, you, you've got to write about this. And, and I think most NPEs hear that when they start talking about it, that they should write a book. I also attended a uh, weekend workshop with Danny Shapiro, who was just about to publish her book, Inheritance. And during the workshop, I I knew about her forthcoming book and what what it was about. So I went out of my way to have a conversation with her during the workshop. And, And exactly as you said, she said to me, oh, my God, now you have to deal with the not only the NPE experience, but also with the race issue. <laughs> she was like, yeah, you've got, you've got a lot on your plate. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was inspired by her and by that workshop. And, and it just really also was a way for me to try to figure out how I was feeling about everything and, and, and try to just make meaning 
out of something that was so chaotic. I, um, I also met my sister. I, I knocked on the door of a complete stranger and asked them if they were my sister because I had been doing all this amazing detective work and really spending time at the library and digging into census records and ancestry has, you know, this treasure trove of newspaper articles. And I just found out so much about my new biological family. And so I went to meet her and, um, and that was, she was wonderful when I knocked on the door and, and uh, asked her who her father was. I mean, can you imagine a complete stranger knocking on your door (laughs) and, and, and asking, you know, are you my sister? So it was, um, yeah, it was wonderful. And so in all this research that I was doing, I was looking through the newspaper articles in uh, Ancestry, and I was also seeing that my biological father had served in the military. And that was the first for me, because my birth certificate father had not, and my husband never has, and we're not familiar with the military. And um, so I was curious about that. And and I had a neighbor who had been in the Navy. And so we would talk about it. And he says, well, what division was he in? And I said, he was in the Marines. And um, little did I know, to make a long story short, he was part of the first cohort of blacks allowed in the Marines in 1943. Mm. and he was stationed in a place called Montford Point, which was next to Camp Lejeune in North Carolina, and it was segregated, and it was very poor conditions, and and there were many um, racist acts perpetrated upon those men. And I found out that um, in 2012, Obama and Congress awarded all 20,000 of those men, that first cohort of black men to go into the Marines, uh, they awarded them the Congressional Gold Medal. And that was very exciting to me to, to think that he could be a decorated soldier. And I began to investigate whether he could receive the medal posthumously. And I had already done a great deal of research, uh, getting his uh, discharge papers and getting his death certificate, and um, and I was able to make that happen, and, and it was a key piece for me in in coming full circle and paying respects, and and my sister and I went and accepted the congressional gold medal for him, and that was just a real a real gift. So. A lot of these things I needed to to write about. I needed to, again, try to process and see how I felt about it. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. Well done with with all your work. I can see that that must have been a lot of work to to get that to happen for your, your birth father and for you and your newfound sister to honor that. Yeah. Oh, do you have siblings from your original family? No. So being an only child my whole entire life, now to use the words sister, to mm-hmm. use the words niece and nephew and brother and 
cousins. <laughs> I really did not have that because uh, my birth certificate father was an only child. So there weren't any extended family on his side. And, um, and I had completely lost contact with the only cousin that I had on my mother's side. So it was, um, it was an adjustment and it was a joy. And some of my friends, I would say to them, what do you think is the most amazing part about the story? And they would say, the fact that you have family, all you've ever done is complain about having such a small family. And now you have six brothers and sisters and uh, all manner of cousins. And I have a niece and a nephew. And it's just been a joy getting mm -hmm. to know this whole other side of my family. And Christine, if people want to get in touch with you, um, where could they do that? How could they do that? Well, my email is christinefromqueens at gmail.com. And as I said at the beginning of the program, my website is christinefromqueens.com where there's also uh, an area where you can contact me through my website. And on the website, they can also find your um, Wall Street Journal article. Is that correct? Yes. 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 The Wall Street Journal article is there and a link to uh, the Amazon page where my book is located. Yeah. And some other postings that I've made in the last year, mm. other blog posts. Mm. So yeah, I would love to hear from anybody that's has questions or any kind of feedback that would be great. Because when you lose the plot line of your life, and you're in a narrative vacuum or a story vacuum, you have to make meaning out of it. That's just the way we are as human beings. If you want to heal from the shame of finding out that you're an NP and whatever the circumstances are that surrounds that, for me, the healing comes from the writing, speaking, speaking your truth, creativity, and ultimately acceptance. Thanks again to Christine for sharing today. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.